Good morning again. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here today. It is so good to be gathered together in God's house with God's people on God's day and to celebrate uh, in all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Haven't we been blessed in the Lord? Amen. Today, I invite you to open your Bible and look with me. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture today, but our focus is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. In all of the New Testament, this is the uh, most important and most thorough discussion of our subject today. And one of the things that helps bring abundance in our life is a life of giving, life of surrender to the Lord, a life of opening your life and giving of yourself to others and to the Lord. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 8 and 9 today. And uh, we've been talking about the abundant life. God wants us to have a full and abundant life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come in order that you might have life, and that life abundant, full, and meaningful. God wants you to have an abundant life. Tell your neighbor, he wants you to have abundance. He wants you to have abundance. Abundance in your life, abundance of grace, abundance of joy, abundance of purpose. And God wants to bless you incredibly. But the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So if the God of heaven wants abundance in your life, then why uh, are we not experiencing that abundance in our life? And so there's some things that are hindrances to experiencing the life that God wants us to have out of abundance. And it really has to do with the sanctification of our life and obedience to God. But one of the things that we talked about in the first week is about unforgiveness. And when I refuse to forgive, then that is a hindrance and a roadblock and and, and an impediment to me experiencing the the abundance that God wants me to have. Secondly, when uh, I am stingy, unwilling to show compassion to others, and I'm so self-absorbed, that I don't give and, and don't show compassion to those who are hurting, then that uh, is an impediment in my life because God blesses us as we show compassion. Today's message is very similar to last week's message, and that's about a life of giving, a giving of yourself and service to God. I want us to look, if you have your Bible, look with me, and we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. First of all, if you'll look with me... <clears throat> And Luke's gospel, chapter number 6, beginning with verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Look what he says. Give, and it will be given unto you, in abundance to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul reminds us about the one who gave first, the one who loved us so. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Hallelujah. What a great verse 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. For you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture today and uh, uh, these texts, I want us to think about giving. There's a story I read uh, recently by an author that uh, I uh, enjoy reading, James Bryan Smith who's pastor of a church in Wichita, Kansas. And he tells a story that's very familiar to me, and similar kinds of things have happened in my own life. He said he was in a meeting one day, and as he was in the meeting, the phone had rang, and, a, and he was just finishing the meeting, and his administrative assistant stepped in and said, Pastor, there's a call for you on the line. He said, well, I'm really busy now. I'm trying to wrap this up. And he said, uh, would you take a number? And she said, Pastor, he really needs to speak to you. And he says, it's urgent. And he said, did he say his name? She said, no, but he sounds urgent. So he picked up the phone, and it was a a man. He said, you don't know me. He said, "Uh, I don't know you, Pastor. He said, but I'm in trouble, and I need help. And could you help me? And he said, well, what's going on? And he said, I haven't eaten for three days. And I was wondering if you might spare some money for me to eat. He said, well, I don't have any money to give you, but I can take you to get something to eat. And he said, "Uh, that would be great. And so he told him where he was at. And it's in a real shady part of town. And and so uh, Pastor Smith uh, told his uh, 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 staff team that he needed to leave and go help care for this man. So he drove to the other part of town. He He was driving. He's thinking... Well, it's still daylight. He said, I'd hate to be in this part of the town after dark. And he says, it's kind of a dangerous area. And he was feeling a bit nervous because he says, I don't know this guy. I don't know if this is a setup. I don't know if I'm going to be taken advantage of. I don't know if I'll be hurt. But he knew he needed to go. And when he went, he found the man on the corner where he said he'd be. And 
He was a younger man. He got into his car. He was disheveled. You could tell that he hadn't washed his clothes or bathed for a while. And there was a smell about him. And he said, I'll, I'll think we can get a lot to eat. So he went to a, a, a buffet. And, uh, and so he went to the buffet, the buffet, paid for their meal. And he said, the man just ate and ate and ate. He said, he ate like an army. He just, he just ate. He was so hungry. And he said, I just haven't eaten. I'm just... This means so much to me. He could tell by his accent that he wasn't from the United States. He said, so where, where are you from? He said, well, I've, I've been in the country for about three or four months. And he said, uh, I'm from uh, Germany. And he said, uh, I was visiting some friends, and I kind of outlasted my welcome. And, and then I just started hitchhiking, and I ended up here in Wichita, Kansas. And he said, uh, he said I'm trying to find a place, and I and so after they just talked together, he said, shared with him about the Lord and, and said uh, he was very grateful. He said he took him to a, a dive motel where he was staying, and he let him out. And as he was getting out, he said, I won't forget what you've done for me. He said, may I have your name? And he wrote it. He gave him a card. And so he, he looked at his name, and his, he said, is this phone number yours? He said, address. He said, yes. He said, thank you. And so the man got out of the car and he left. As he drove away, he thought, I wonder if that guy's legit. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's just a story. I wonder if inside that motel he has a big bag of cash that he's going to spend on dope. I just don't know if I'm being taken advantage of or right. But then he said, it doesn't matter. I just did what God wanted me to do. Amen. You know what? This is exactly right. You know, it's not about but about me judging others, but it's about doing what God would have us to do. Amen? When, I, when you think about giving, there's some false narratives that come into our mind. And some of those false narratives, they're kind of written in the DNA of, of our culture. And the first false narrative is this. God helps those who help themselves. There are some of you here today that think that's in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. It's in Poor Richard's Almanac that was published in 1754. And it was penned by Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin was not a Christian. He was a deist. He was not a Christian. And he wrote some brilliant things, but this is not one of them. God helps those who help themselves. That enables me to be judgmental of people that, don't, that have need. It takes me off the hook. But it's a false narrative. The true narrative is this. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's the gospel. Amen? False narrative number two. If I give it away, I got less. And that helps prevent generosity also because it comes out of a scarcity narrative. See, what I give away is lost, and now I have less. I understand the math. You know, if I have one chocolate chip cookie and I give you half, now I got half of one. Understand. But isn't there a greater truth? And the truth is, if we all share, 
and we all give, we will all have enough. Because God has blessed us so. If you read in the book of Exodus about the children of Israel coming out of the Egypt and headed toward the promised land, they didn't have enough water and they didn't have enough food. And the people griped for food and God sent them what? Do you remember the name of that food, that bread from heaven? What was the name of it? Manna. You know what the Hebrew word manna means? What is it? That's what they said. What in the world is this? They said it looked like a coriander. It, it actually, they said it tastes like flour fried in oil. It's, it's Krispy Kremes on the ground is what it was. <laughs> and they were to collect every day an omer. Do you know how much an omer is? like a a couple of quarts you're not to hoard it not more than an omer but just an omer and you gather and he had to teach them and don't you collect on the sabbath but you collect and god will provide and when everybody just got what they needed and as they shared it god's provision was enough for the children of israel god's provision is still enough True narrative is this, is we all share, we all have enough. False narrative, what I have is mine, and it's for my pleasure. I earned it, I deserve it, I'm entitled to it. It's mine to do with at my discretion. But the true narrative is, what I have, all of it, is from God. And it's not mine. It's his. And he directs me how to use it, how to invest it, so it might change lives. Amen? Amen. The backdrop, 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's trying to encourage them in their giving. The church in Jerusalem, the Judean believers, are in tremendous famine. And they are in great need. And they need some economic help. And he's raising money from the churches where Paul has ministered that he has helped plant. And he's raising money for relief for those who are in trouble back in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to the church at Corinth. And we find in this great text the purpose and procedures and promises and principles about generous grace giving. And we can learn from them today. Number one, first principle is this. Your giving, first, your grace giving is not based on circumstances. Some people think, well, I can't give because my circumstances are difficult. But look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at the screen, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is to the north of Achaia, up in the northern province of uh, Greece, and uh, where Philippi and other churches are at, has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. When did they give? He says, Look at the example of your brothers and sisters up north in Macedonia. 
That province has been ravaged by war. That province has been taken advantage of, of by Rome. That province, the people have suffered, and they're in depth of poverty, but they have begged us for the opportunity to give. Notice the next verse. They gave according to their means, I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody, nobody forced them, begging us earnestly for the grace, the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He says, even though they were in depth of difficulty, they wanted to give. Listen, I don't know about your life. Somebody said, well, I'm going through difficult times. Somebody said, you know, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when I lose mine. Well, maybe you're going through a difficulty in your life, but that doesn't prevent you from living a life of giving. Giving. They gave beyond their means. Second principle, they gave themselves first to the Lord. It begins with self-giving. Giving yourself to the Lord. Notice verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to whom? Say it with me. First to whom? The Lord. And then, by the will of God, to whom? To us. So the first step is to the Lord, then to us. Folks, if you get it backwards, it doesn't work. If the appeal is to give to us, but don't give to the Lord, you're going to regret it, resent it, feel manipulated by it. There's no joy in it. But you give yourself fully to God first, and then you give yourself to others, and that's where the joy of the Lord is found. Amen? Interesting story in the Old Testament. The prophet Elijah is up near the sea, near Sidon. There's a widow there, and she is out collecting sticks. And he says to her, he said, could you go and get me, fetch me some uh, water to drink? And then she said, okay. And she recognized him as a prophet, a man of God. And, and so she's going to go get him some water. He said, would you make me a cake of bread? Would you make me a, a, like a pancake of bread, a morsel of bread? And she said, sir, in this famine and difficulty that we're in, he, she said, all I have is a little bit of oil in my in my jug, and all I have is a little bit of flour in my jar. And he, she said, I'm picking sticks to make a fire, and it's just me and my son. She's a single mom and a widow. And she says, I'm going to make this last piece of bread, and my son and I are going to eat, and then we'll die because we have no resources. And then he looked at her, and it sounds as selfish as it could be. You fix me the cake. You fix me the bread, and you bring it to me. And if you bring it to me, you'll never run out of oil, and you'll never run out of flour. <laughs> By faith, what did she do? She made a cake. She made a piece of bread, and she brought it to the man of God, and he ate it. And she went back in, and there was oil and flour. And she made for her son and for her. And for the rest of the famine, she always had flour and she had always had oil because God provided for her. She gave herself first to the Lord and then to us. Man, that's the way God blesses. Amen? And so the next principle, 
<clears throat> we should learn to excel in this giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. We need to learn to excel in grace giving. Corinth was all about gifts, about what gifts and how they're gifted and how you should use gifts and who had certain gifts. And he says, listen, you know all about knowledge and speech and doctrine and Bible knowledge and gifts of the Spirit, and I've written to you about love. And He said, but you need to learn to excel, excel, be excellent in this grace of giving because it brings abundance in your life and glory to God Almighty. Amen? So we should learn to excel in this giving. Next principle, please. Genuine giving commitments should be completed. What you've promised, you need to carry out. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Verse 6. Look down into verse number 10 in your Bible. It says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, arrange in advance for the gift you've promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. Not manipulated. Give, give what you've already promised. Psalm 116, verse 12. Listen to what the Scripture says. I don't have it on the screen. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Listen to what the psalmist says. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now listen, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. Give, give, and do what you promised in your heart. When you first gave your life to Jesus, did you say to him, Lord, I want you to be the Lord, the master, the king of my life? Anybody say that? Lord, I want you to save me. I want you to come in my life. I ask you to forgive me my sins, and I will... I want you to be my Lord, my master, my king. I'll follow you, obey you in my life. When did we move from that? Let's give what we promised to the Lord. Amen. I was just a young pastor, pastor in a little town in Ducoin, Illinois. I was in college and pastor in a church. And I remember one time I, I, I got a call, uh, one of our deacons got a call and said, would you and the pastor come by and visit with me? It's a woman I didn't know very well. She was sort of feeble. She was very elderly. She lived in a very old, old mobile home trailer that was really old. The yard was kind of unkept and a lot of weeds and trees had grown up around the mobile home. She didn't have much family, and, and she, we went into her house. We, she fixed us some tea, and she had a 
coffee cake, and I indulged, and I visited with her. Her name was Mary, and she said, I won't keep you long. I just wondered if we could pray together, and she says, I vowed and I committed my life to the Lord. And she said, I haven't always walked perfectly with him, but I want my house to be in order between me and the Lord. And she says, I want to give generously toward the end of my life. And she said, and I'm writing a check today, and I want you to please accept it. And I want you to take it and use it for the kingdom of God. Because I want to be honoring to God with all that I have. And that elderly woman wrote out a check, handed it to our deacon, who was our treasurer, and she gave him $20,000. Six weeks later, Miss Mary went home to be with the Lord. But one of the things she wanted to do is honor God with what she had. Isn't that an amazing story? How about you in your life? Are you, are you obeying him? Number five, look with me. Generous giving is evidence of sincere love. Listen to what Paul says. I say this not as a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. How do you show it? By what you do, how you act. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Verse 24, listen. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. One of the ways that we prove our love is, is by the act of giving in our life. James warns us, doesn't he? He says, you know, if you have, say you have faith, but you don't have works, faith without works is what? Dead. And he says, suppose there's a person who's naked and has no clothing and has no food and is destitute, and you say, be warm and be filled. I'm praying for you, brother, but you don't do anything to help them. Faith without works is dead. No, faith acts. And so giving shows the sincerity of your love. Amen. The sincerity of your love. That's what Jesus did for us. Faith, also giving is connected with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Grace giving is connected to Christ's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. I must say this not as a command, but to prove. He says, I'm not forcing you. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm not manipulating you. But I say to you, not as a command, but to prove your earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, even though he was rich. For your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the gospel in a verse, in a nutshell, in this one sentence. He says Jesus in his pre-existent state, pre-incarnation state, in his existence before God, was there rich in the splendor and glory of the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity. He was rich, yet for your sakes, he became what? Poor, born in poverty, born taking on human flesh, incarnate. 
so that he became a man, a servant, and he died on a cross, poured out his life, became poor, that you through his what? Poverty might become what? Rich. Oh, the grace of the Lord Jesus, that he poured out his life so we could become sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Jesus. And that gift moves me to give. He loved us so much. We can love because he loved us. Amen? We give because he so gave for us. Amen. Praise God. A willingness to give is more important than the amount you give. Amen? Listen to me. For the readiness is there if it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. So the readiness is there. The willingness is there. And that's way more important than the amount of money that you give. The we willing to give. You remember Jesus. You remember the story. He's with the disciples, and they're in the temple court near the treasury where people give their gifts. Do you remember the story? And they're coming in, and they're watching as people are giving their gifts and their worship, in worship. And some were coming in and giving large sums of money. And that didn't catch the attention of Jesus. But one poor little woman came through there, and she took out one little copper coin, the one little coin, and one... And she dropped it in the coffer. And it seemed unnoticed by everybody, but you know who did notice? Jesus. And he said, boys, did you see that gift right there? Greatest gift given today. It is amazing. It blessed my heart. And they said, well, what? She gave one little mite. And she gave all she had to live on. It was the greatest gift given today. It's not the amount. It's in the heart, your sacrifice, and you're willing to give. It, uh, it, it, it's way more important than the amount you give. Some people say, Brother Tim, how much do I need to give? I would never tell you how much you should give. Brother Tim, do I have to give a certain percentage? No, you don't have to give a certain percentage. You give from your heart to God. Do I give? I Christy and I give. We, we grew up knowing about tithing. Tithing is, you can say 10%. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. New Testament, it doesn't really speak a lot about a percentage. Instead, it should be moved out of the grace of God for us. I surely hope that we give way beyond that. That's how God has led us to do. And in this place and stage of our life, we, it's a joy to give way beyond that 10%. And God's blessings are rich and real. Amen. And so he wants to bless your life. Amen. Hmm. Number eight. In God's economy, the abundance of some ministers to the deficiency of others in verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased, but you burden, and that's a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need 
so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen. Listen, God blesses us with abundance so that we might be able to help others. God doesn't bless you with abundance so that you can go out and buy a, that sports car or buy, buy that third house or all. You know, that's not why. God blesses you so that God can use you to bless other people. It's all his, and he wants you to use it, not to spend it on you, but to spend it in his kingdom, changing lives and helping people. Amen. That's the divine economy. He says, so there might be equality, balance, equilibrium. If folks, would you understand, we are in community. We're members of one another. We're a part of the body of Christ. Tell your neighbor, we're part of the same body. You are. Now, some of you might feel like a little toe or a big toe and like that's not that important. We're all members of one another. The word membership, doesn't it come from a part of a body? We're members of one another. We're connected to one another. We're in community with each other. In this severe independence in our Western world, we, we think that we're not a part we are or spiritually, organically a part of one another. If one member of the body suffers, all of the body suffers with it because we are connected in Christ Jesus, who's the head of his church. Am I speaking the truth? Yes. Every member of the body. So we care for one another. Amen. Amen. Oh, I've got more to say about that, but I need to move on. Number nine. Generous giving encourages and stimulates giving by others. When I am generous and give generously, it helps encourage giving in other people. Now, now chapter nine, verse one and two. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying, Achaia has been ready since last year. Now, listen. And your zeal has stirred them up. They are excited. Oh, he says, most of them. I like most. There's always some that aren't on board. But most of them are, they are stirred up to love and good deeds by your love and good deeds. This is that stimulating effect, that encouraging effect that giving does. You remember in the book of Acts, there was a man by the name of Joseph. He's a Levite. Do you remember him? And Joseph was wealthy. He had some money. He had a tract of land. And he sold it. Now, he was a man that was a real encourager to other people. And he sold that tract of land. And when he did, he brought it to the apostles, set it at their feet. And he gave them to them to give to the needs of the saints in the church. 
and it greatly encouraged the church. His name, by the way, is Barnabas also. That was his other name. Meaning, son of what? Encouragement. He was such an encourager in his life. So, old Barney blessed the whole church by his life and gift. It was a rainy day many, many years ago now. And I was pastor of the church, and we were in the middle of trying to build a new building. And we were raising money for the funds to build the building and been talking about it and praying about it and asking people to, to give. Not this building, not at this location. I pastored this church when it was located in town a long, long, long time ago. So this is around 1990, 1991 maybe. And so it was a rainy day, and a member of our church was out walking in the rain. He had an umbrella, and he had his dog with him, and shaggy old long-haired dog, kind of smelly. And, and uh, he stopped by and uh, the church office, which was in a house at the time on the corner lot near the church. And so he came in, and he and the smelly dog with him, and uh, he said, Brother Tim, I wanted to give a gift to the church. I just wanted to stop by and thought it might be an encouragement and a blessing. And I just want to do it because God asked me to do it. And I said, well, that's great. And uh, he said, well, which would be more important? Should I give to the building program or to the budget? We were behind with the budget. And then we needed the building. And I said, I, I don't know. He said, well, why don't I just split it? Give it half to the budget and half to the building program. Said, great, awesome. And I had no idea. I didn't think whether, I didn't think anything about it. He's just an ordinary guy. And so he wrote out a check, gave it to me in an envelope. When I looked at it, he left. I wept. And it encouraged our whole church. It was anonymous. I never told who it was. And not today, I won't. But he wrote a check, and this was a long time ago, so think about inflation. He gave $20,000 to the building and $20,000 to the budget. And it blessed the whole church in a tremendous way. Your giving... When we shared how God had blessed, it stirred others to give themselves what they could give. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice and trust in God. Amen. Amen. Number 10. Our attitude toward giving is important to God. How many of y'all think attitude makes it, is important? Number one, what kind of attitude should we have? Look, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead you, to you and arrange in advance for the gift. So he sent kind of an emissary group. He says to let them know, bring the letter, and encourage the brothers. This is, folks, this is before the web. There's no text messaging, all right? So you have to send a delegation ahead of you. And they said, he's come, they're, they're going to come to collect the offering. Let's get ready. And he says, and so you can give the gift promised that you might be ready as a notice Say it with me. Ready as a what? Willing gift. 
not an exaction. And so he says, now, the point is this. Whoever sows what? Sparingly. Reaps sparingly. Whoever, I mean, uh, sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But each one should give as he decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. He said two ways to give. You give willingly, not under compulsion, and you give cheerfully. You don't want to give reluctantly and or under compulsion. The word reluctant means sorrowful. It means you, you, you're holding on to this thing. Give it. Give it. I mean, I have squeezed. Oh, George Washington is red in the face. You know, I'm squeezing so hard. I give it. I had a person tell me one time, when I get my giving statement, it's always really hard for me. I said, oh? He said, because when I look at it, I think of all the things I could have bought with that. When I get my giving statement, I always give thanks and glory to God. And I wish it could have been so much more. The problem is in our heart. May we give. Now the word cheerfully is the same word that we get the word hilarity from. Hilarious. He said God wants you to be a hilarious giver. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? We're going to take the offering. Hey, hey, brothers and sisters, know what time it is. Yes, giving time. Yay! And we all give to the glory of God. be awesome, wouldn't it? Because it's a joy to give to the one who gave to us. Have an attitude that's right in giving. Number 10, 11. Generosity opens your life to God's amazing abundance. See, as I sow, God, there's a law of the harvest. And as I sow and give abundantly, I reap abundantly. So that I might be abundance in, abundant in good works. Not so that I can go out and buy new toys. No, I can be a, the abundance comes so that I can even do more work for God's kingdom because he blesses me so that I can be a, a conduit of blessing to others. That's what Paul's teaching them here. Now listen, can God take care of you? God is able. Verse number eight, and God is able. Stop right there. I want you to say those words with me. Verse eight. And God is able. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Is God able? God's able to take care of you, isn't he? Now listen how abundantly he'll take care of you. He's able to make what? All what? All grace abound to whom? You. So that having all what? Sufficiency. He's going to meet your need. In all what? All things. When? At all times. Why? 
so you can abound in every good work. That's why. For his praise and glory. Isn't that awesome? What a great promise in his word. Verse 9, as it's written, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, notice closely. And you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be what? Generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. That brings us to our last point. Number 12. Generosity results in praise and what? Thanksgiving to God. Now notice quick, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but overflowing in many thanksgiving to whom? To God. And notice what's happening in, in Judea, what will happen in Judea. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. He says, you know, the church in Jerusalem, and they kind of look at you, you, you guys are Gentiles. There's some up there in Jerusalem that still don't think you guys bringing pork to potluck dinner is the good thing to do. They're just really wondering because you were not a part of the nation of Israel. But they've become convinced. They have heard that you have conflict and you've had some false doctrine and you've had some moral issues. They've heard some of these things. But when they receive this gift from you, you know what they're going to say? They are our brothers and our sisters, and they know the gospel, and they're living the gospel, and the grace of God's on them, and we are one with them, and they're going to break out and praise the God in Jerusalem, those Hebrew Christians, and you're going to praise God because you've blessed your brothers and sisters, and it all will resound in thanksgiving and glory to God Almighty. Our giving it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to God in this world. Amen? Amen. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted Him? Are you obeying Him in your life? Are you experiencing the joy and the abundance and the fullness of this life? My friends, listen. God wants you to be a conduit of his grace. And as you give, you receive so that you can give even more abundantly. And you will know an abundant Christian life. Amen. Father in heaven, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today they might turn to him, trust in him, Father, if there's someone here that's not walking in obedience, I pray that today they would step out and say, I will obey the Lord. Father, today, as you're speaking, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Stand with me, please, will you? There's someone here to pray with you. Or you can come and pray by yourself. Or you can pray where you are. But let God have his way in your life. You come.